Hey, welcome everyone. It's our favorite day. It's podcast day. Welcome to the Citizens Advisory Podcast presented by the Citizens Advisory of Pennsylvania. I am Jess Stallnecker, Executive Director, and I'm back with Ben Herring. We know him. We love him. He's our Vice President. And we are going to talk about something we think is really timely and really important. Um, we're seeing a lot of this, actually, in the last few years, especially. Um, but we had a story come across our feed that we thought was, you know, pretty substantial. And we decided that this is a good topic. Um, so a little backstory. Um, in June, the White House announced that the Department of Education Office of Civil Rights will begin informing districts on how reviewing and removing books from schools challenged by parents can create a racially and sexually hostile environment in violation of federal law. So first of all, what's your initial thought on that, Ben? And then we'll we'll move on to, into our topic. Um, well, you know, I've said this before on our podcast. In 1972, when they established the um, Department of Education, on a federal scale, it started our complete downhill slide of education. And this just adds more to that. It's not their jurisdiction. They should not be sending their little investigators into these schools that have the authority, specifically in Pennsylvania as a commonwealth, that rests within the local school boards. So I think it's disgusting. It's another complete overreach. They're probably going to get destroyed in the courts like they've done every single time in the last three years. Um, but unfortunately, we have to go down this road and play this game and do the whole song and dance of going through the courts. Exactly. So that's why we think it's really important to talk to you a little bit about the difference between something like this, an executive order or a department coming in and giving some order versus actual legislation, right? Like there's a difference. And, you know, one certainly holds more weight than the other. And we've seen in the last few years really a rule by executive order attempt, especially by this administration and even in the administrations of our states, um, like our governors in Pennsylvania. So um, what is the difference between an executive order and legislation? Yeah, great question. And I think this is extremely important um, to anybody listening, because I think a lot of parents will think that some agency is coming in to do X investigation and immediately get the chill effect. We can't do anything about this. Oh, my God. If they find out that the school is, you know, has an unconstitutional policy in their in their words that they're going to lose nine, 900 times out of 900. You know, I think that that kind of chilling effect is out there. And that's why I think it's important for, you know, folks like you and I, Jess, to get on a podcast and let everybody know what the true reality is, because it's not that chilling effect. Um, and let's get right into it with the executive orders, because you've, you're absolutely right. Over the last few years, and quite frankly, over the last 20, 30 years, it's gotten out of hand. Mm -hmm. I, I'm very consistent and clear on my thoughts on this subject. And I've said that I didn't like when, when uh, Donald Trump did it. I didn't like when George Bush did it. I don't care what letters next to your name. For me, it does not matter. You don't rule by fiat or executive order. Right. So going back to the history, it's it's pretty unique. Uh, George Washington was in office for eight years. Do you know how many executive orders George Washington um, I, gave out? I am not sure the exact number, but I remember seeing something about this right after Biden signed all of his, like the day after he was inaugurated. 
Yeah. Um, but it's like one or zero. It was you're absolutely it was one per year. So mm -hmm. he ended with eight total orders and it was one per year. After him, John Adams, he was in office for four years. His total amount of executive orders was one. Mm -hmm. Here's here's kind of the, the anatomy of these executive orders. And our founding fathers, obviously, they're the ones that wrote all of our documents. They had a vision. So much was rooted in common sense and, and the greater good of Americans, right. uh, which we've completely gotten off that, you know, that, that foundation. But for an example, if... If July 4th is on a Tuesday and July 3rd obviously would be on a Monday, a president can sign an executive order giving all federal, the, the entire federal workforce that Monday off. So that could be an executive order. So let's make sure there's context to this. Mm -hmm. So literally, if George Washington and John Adams and Jefferson and all the you know presidents from way back in the day were giving executive orders, they were along those lines. They were along the lines of being the CEO of the executive branch, which that's truly, you know, what the, what the president position is. So it's basically taking care of your own workforce. And, you know, you have to give an official formal instruction to somebody to give out, quote, an executive order. Mm -hmm. That's where all this started way back in the day. And that's how it was for a long time until some idiot president decided and i don't know which one it is and i don't yeah. care to even research that because it doesn't matter right decided that when i have an impasse in congress and i can't get a law passed that's conducive to my policy um wants then i'm just gonna throw out an executive order and make everybody do what i what i tell them to which is a dictator mentality right so context again barack obama averaged 35 executive orders a year George Bush, 36 a year. Um, Joe Biden right now is on track for, well, he's got 48 a year. So we're looking at 170-ish by the time he's done with his term. And the problem is, and again, the numbers the numbers can differ, but the the substance is where we have the biggest change in our, in our shift in our culture with these executive orders. They're now being vaccine mandates where you must take an experimental you know, vaccine. They are, um, if you're an employer, you must do what the federal government tells you to do, or else we're going to pull X, Y, and Z. So the the substance of these executive orders has gotten insane. And it's way, way overstepping. And the courts have stepped in, and we're, we're certainly going to talk about that. But to be clear, legislation, real simple stuff. You elect your representatives, they go down to a nice building down in Washington, D.C., Somebody crafts a bill, it comes up, the legislators vote on it. If it passes everything, it becomes a law. Then you follow the law. Mm -hmm. Executive order is one person that sits down at a little tiny desk and signs something and says, you shall do this now because I signed it. Which doesn't sound American to me. Um, I The first thing that came to my head is something that we say all the time is that elections have consequences, Right. Um, so it's really important because the next topic I, I want to kind of get into is like how the legislative bodies can stop this. Um, but we have to first elect officials that are going to, um, legislate based on the, on the wants of their constituents. So I think that that's really important too, because we're seeing that elections have consequences probably more than ever before. So, um, let's just say we get 
you know, elected officials in there who are going to do their jobs the right way. Um, what can the legislative bodies do to stop these this overreach on these executive orders? Yeah, another great question. So we know dictators have a certain mentality, so they're not going to go down without, you know, swinging and being as, as scummy as they could be. So there's two ways to do it. And I think the the way that's more effective, in my opinion, is the power of the purse. So, of course, founding fathers, once again, they created Article 1, 2 and 3. The, the power is vested in all the different branches of our government. And the power of the purse was, you know, entrusted with the legislative branch. Thank God. Um, and what they can do is if we let's just look, go back to this last election. Right. The House turned red where it was blue for the last few years. And I think that was an indictment on the policies of the executive branch being completely out of touch with with the American people. Yeah. And it was it was to put a check and balance in there. Right. If anything, it was to put a check and balance in there um, and put a stop to some of the pain. But another thing, too, is that the House and the Senate of, of you know, the legislative branch, they have the power of the purse. So the quickest way to kill an executive order is to defund it. So if, um, you know, president comes out and says everybody has to wear a yellow shirt on Friday. I always use that analogy because it's so ridiculous that it makes right. sense to, to this topic. Um, Congress can come out and pass a law saying nobody will be forced to wear a yellow shirt on Friday. It becomes a law. A law in the the, the eyes of the court system is always going to be an executive order. Yes. So you you pass legislation that basically takes, you know, gets it out of there um, or you defund it. Those are the two ways. If you have legislation really quick on that. You have to have veto proof numbers, and that's where it gets really tough. That's why I said defunding it is easier because you only need a simple majority to basically restrict funding. So, um, you know, in this case with the yellow shirts, the House would basically pass a package that says we will not like we're restricting funding down to zero dollars. Yeah. Or any yellow shirt stuff. You know what I mean? So you kill it, you choke it off with funding. I think that's the quicker, the quicker and the easier way because of the the veto proof issues that you have when you want to pass legislation real quick on that. So you pass it, goes to the house and the Senate, it goes up to the president dictator. Well, because he already put the executive order out there, what do you think he's going to do? He's going to veto it. Correct. Then it has to come back and you got to pass it with a two thirds vote. So that is the more, um, you know, the harder one to do. So that's why they say the power of the purse is very, very important. And it truly is. So we need elected officials in there. That will choke off any dictator president. I don't care. RD doesn't matter. When they get out of control, you got to take away the funds. Easiest way to do it. My yeah, opinion. and that that makes so much sense. It's really clear. Um, let's talk about because I keep going back to COVID. I feel like a lot of this started to come about during COVID. Um, between like mask mandates, the travel, like the vaccine travel, you can't fly in an airplane unless you're vaccinated or wear a mask. Like those whole, like all of this stuff, but we saw it coming from like the different departments, right? So we saw it coming from the CDC. We saw it coming from um, the Department of Education, the Department of Health in Pennsylvania, right? So we we saw it coming from these different departments that are in essence bureaucracies, right? Because they are, um, you know, they're appointed, they're not elected. Um, 
And so, but then they have this perceived power. And I think like you said in the beginning, we have this chill effect where like no school district was really ready. At least most school districts in Pennsylvania that I'm aware of were not ready to go against the CDC or the Pennsylvania Department of Health when it came to masking kids. And so I think that that's a really interesting like part of this because it's not just executive orders. It's these other orders that come through um, from these different various departments that are unelected officials. Absolutely. And it is so germane to the podcast you did last week with the lawsuit because this all ties together. What happened in Pennsylvania was the acting secretary of health, who was an attorney, by the way, was not any medical professional, mm-hmm. put out that edict that all, you know, the masking order that is so infamous in our state came out saying you must wear a mask at all times, no matter what. Well, again, we've we've had years and decades of exception, you know, exemptions to things because not you can't have a one size fits all approach to anything, especially medically. Right. And all that was thrown out the window, crumbled up and thrown into a trash can because we had these elected officials put in their people in the positions of the, the bureaucracy, to your point, Jess. So the secretary of the acting secretary of health was appointed by the previous governor. Um, All of the cabinet secretaries are appointed by the governor. So what happens is you get, you elect, you elect somebody. And that's why it's so, so important. Like what you said about elections have consequences. They're able to handpick their people to lead these agencies. These agencies then get these kind of unwritten rule, unwritten orders to make sure everybody thinks the same way. Don't tell me it doesn't happen because trust me, it does. It does. Yeah. And then the next thing you know, the investigators are coming out for the Pennsylvania Human Rights Commission or the uh, the Pennsylvania Department of Education. You don't you don't think most of them have the same mindset? They all do uh, for the most part, not all of them, but most of them. And that's what happens. You get partisan activity in the bureaucracies. I can talk bureaucracies. Say that fast. And um, and this is what happens. You get these fiats that get put out to the people, to the citizenship, citizenry. Mm-hmm. And if they don't follow it, then the uh, unelected officials come after you. Right. And it's it's a shame. But yeah, so that order, just real quick on that. If you if anybody read the actual judge's order for that case, it was dismissed as illegal from the beginning. Yeah. I think I think Rich said it last week. Yep. Meaning that person never had the authority to do that. And that's what happens with these executive orders is. They think they have this perceived power to tell everybody to do something. But again, an executive order, if you think about giving somebody a Monday off because it falls between a holiday and a weekend, is a lot different statutorily than saying everybody must wear a mask because I say so. And this is where these people went off the walls. Yeah. And this is where it really came to light for everyone, I think. I mean, for for people that were paying attention. It just is crazy to me how... You know, I mean, I was even afraid like to go and stand up at my school board meeting and question the orders that were coming down from the CDC, right? Like it's, you know, that's intimidating. But now as we're starting to learn more about this, especially, you know, in layman's terms, things I'm not a legislator, I'm not a, po- a politician. Um, but now that I know that they really never had the power to do it to begin with, it's like it makes it a whole lot different. Yeah. And it, it happens at every scale. It's happened in Pennsylvania with the masking and all that. It happened on the, the federal scale with the vaccine mandate. All of them got thrown away. 
the yep. contract, the federal contractor got thrown away, the employee over 200 people got thrown away, and the federal civilian mandate got thrown away. The damage was done, though. I mean, there's many service members that were discharged because they they had religious convictions. They didn't want to get vaccinated. And, and a lot were, of people that got vaccinated that regret it. 100% regret it. But these people got thrown out like they didn't even matter. Bronze stars, silver stars, valor awards just tossed tossed to the wind. So, I mean, that's a whole different subject we can get into. Another time, yeah. But all of these got thrown away. And and it, it it's really important to understand that because the judicial system, depending on where you're at geographically, is made up of a different mindsets. If you're getting all of these tossed in court, maybe you're doing something wrong. <laughs> right. I mean, when does, <laughs> there's no brain activity. So I know that's never going to strike the chord there, but yeah. Um, it's just crazy, but, but it, it's important to know that it, this happens at the federal and the state mm -hmm. level. Um, it's the same kind of setup with the executive branch and the executive orders. So do you want to talk a little bit about, uh, you know, the lawsuit that, that you were a part of, um, the, the vaccine mandate, the federal, um, vaccine mandate and how that sort of got tossed out, like you just mentioned, but do you want to go a little bit into depth with that? Because you have some personal experience there. Absolutely. Just just like I do with this organization, anytime I think there's something that's unjust and and just disgusting, I'll always fight back. And as a Marine Corps veteran, you know, you know, working when when I heard that this this guy was going to institute a a vaccine mandate, I mean, I was appalled wouldn't even be the word to use. It was a you know, it wasn't approved by the FDA. It wasn't approved by anybody. People loved using the whole, well, you've had vaccines before if you're in the military. Yeah, but they also went through a lot of rigorous testing, never an experimental, you know, medicine. And to mandate that on every single person, regardless of their background or or what their medical conditions are and all that, I thought it was so disgusting. So um, I won't belabor that one. So we, a bunch of fellow patriots, veterans stood up, uh, went after them. We sued the administration, rightfully so. Uh, because it was an illegal order, so it went through the it went through the court system. It was down in Texas at a district court. It was ruled in our favor that he, that um, the president's office did not have the authority to mandate people to get enough experimental medical, you know, treatment. And it was appealed, of course. And, and here's kind of the crappy part of this whole thing is that we have limited resources because we, as the citizenry, we have to fund our own <laughs> stuff. We don't right. just get things given to us. But when you're fighting back on a governmental source, they use our own taxpayer money to take us to court and fight us. I mean, it's such a frustrating concept. That is, yeah. So if you beat them in the district court, which we did, they appealed it to the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. And here, here's where it gets tricky. And I don't want to get too much into this topic, but for context, I think it's it's an interesting point. We got a three-judge panel. Anytime you go to the Circuit Court of Appeals, usually they'll give you a three-judge panel. We got one. They affirmed the lower court ruling. They said, yep, he doesn't have the authority to do that. Right. Well, then somehow the DOJ appealed again. I guess there's unlimited appeals if you're the government. Now we got a second three-judge panel, and this one was constructed differently ideologically. Mm -hmm. And in a two-to-one vote, they said, no, he does have the authority to do that. So it, it fell on party lines, too. Right. Yeah, if course. it was a conservative judge, they said, no, you don't have the authority because they believed in our constitutional rights. Mm -hmm. It went over to a progressive two to one judgeship there. Um, and 
it, it got affirmed that he does have the power to do that to us. It was it was crazy. It was it was very eye opening, and I learned a ton through the process. But anyways, we we applied for an en banc review, which is where the entire circuit court of appeals sits behind, and you know, in an overwhelming majority, we won. It affirmed the lower court's ruling again. Now there was two options to do at this point: appeal again the DOJ back to the full court, right. Or bring it to the United States Supreme Court. We were kind of hoping it would go to the Supreme Court because then it would set a very clear message for everybody. Yes. Um, and it, but at that time, that's when everybody started to, I think it was politically not beneficial anymore to have the mandate out there. It had nothing to do with science ever. Mm-hmm. And again, I that's a whole different topic. Um, but they, instead of appealing it, they just let it go. And they said, okay, we lost in court. But again- okay. That was one loss on top of another, another, another. I mean, this administration has lost in court so many times because they keep just giving out these fiats with no authority to do so. And I don't think people understand that too much. No, I think think it's important to, I think this podcast is important because it's important to make the distinction. Uh, Mm -hmm. Where are these orders coming from and are they actually legal? should we have to follow them? So I think that's why this is really important, an important discussion. And we see it even at the state level too. So uh, I, I want you to share the example that Shapiro just put out there because we were laughing about this a little bit uh, before we actually started recording. So um, Governor Shapiro just signed some executive order. Tell us about that. Yeah, and and really quickly too, just like you said, Jess, these these orders literally can be anything. It's up to us to know how to discern if it's legitimate or if it's a bogus order that somebody needs to take the court the next day. Right. And that's part of this podcast. I'm hoping, you know, folks listening, if we'll get to it at the end, but like you got to be aware of these things. Because Shapiro, Josh Shapiro could sit down tomorrow or Monday and sign an executive order saying that he bans all vehicles on the roads starting next week. He could do that. He could literally sign that document. Is that going to stop anything? Probably not. But people need to understand these, when you elect these folks into these positions, they can literally sign any executive order they want to. And we've, again, seen over the last three years where it gets abused really bad. So Josh Shapiro, the irony of this executive order is too much. Um, He signed on June there it is, June 6th of 2023, Executive Order 2023-15, he established a Governor's Advisory Commission on Women. And the reason that's so ironic, and I laugh, me and Jess, is because if you remember episode, uh, was it three, maybe? Two or three? One of those. We talked about... and No, HB, HB 300, I think it was episode two. You're right. Episode two, we talked about this executive order that Governor Wolf put in place um, and that corresponded with another bureaucratic organization that that asked for a rule change in the state of Pennsylvania to change to change the definition of sex to include gender identity and expression and sexual orientation. So now when you're talking about somebody's sex in the state of Pennsylvania, if you're listening to these, the agency only, it's a very open meeting now it's not just your biological sex right. real weird stuff so on the same token out of the same you, you can't even say it with a straight face you establish a 
Advisory Commission on Women. Well, what's a woman, Josh Shapiro? Do you know what a woman is? Well, they won't define it. In fact, you could say you're a woman, Ben, and why don't you apply? I think I'm, I think I'm going to. I think you and I should both apply. You as a legitimate woman, what common sense people would understand. Right. And then I'll just look like this. I mean, every, never mind. I won't even get into that. <laughs> I said it last night. I'm not going to get into it. But I would still be better looking than I think 80% of dudes that think they're women. And I'm not saying I'm this great looking guy. I'm just saying, have you seen some of them? Holy cow. I could say I'm a woman and I'm going to apply for that commission. We'll right? see it must be because it's an executive order. Stay tuned. We'll fill you in on a future podcast. But we're, yeah, I mean, it's that, that was, that was an interesting executive order. Interesting. Um, so one last thing I want to talk about, um, because we, you and I talked a little bit about the fact that there is actually even some contradiction in executive orders versus other things that have been, um, you know, put in place by this administration and, um, we, we have one having to do with the school boards in Pennsylvania and how the China virus showed us that the power is held locally, um, but then there were other orders that were coming down. So like, let's talk about the contradiction there. Yeah, we're going to bring this full circle where we started at because this this new push by the federal government to basically send, you know, these scare tactic investigators to your school to look into your policies regarding book banning. And I don't even like to use that term. I, I We're using their language. I don't like that. You know, book reviews is really what it is, because I'm sorry, but I don't think our children should be watching porn when they're at school. That, you know, we, the book banning is another completely different subject here. Yes. Um, but for the sake of this and sticking on the point here. The Pennsylvania, so the public school code of 1949, and this is very germane to our organization. This is one of the foundational pieces of what we do. That gives the authority, and that is a law, to go back full circle to this conversation. That is not an executive order that established the public school code of 1949. Mm -hmm. That was legislation passed by the General Assembly that gave authority to local school boards to make decisions for their schools. And I'll read the exact language to make it clear. Um, but it, I think it's very important for context because this is not something you're going to challenge under that executive order could mean absolute bogus BS. This is legit elected officials gave school boards that authority. Mm -hmm. Right. So a lot of folks have challenged school boards. There's been removal petitions and all that stuff. And there was a ruling that I found to be really, really interesting because the language that the judge used in order to stymie the petitioners can be used against them when it comes to this book review topic. And I want to talk about that real quick. So uh, let me read this. When one attacks the action of a school board concerning matters committed by law to its discretion, he or she has a heavy burden as the court is not prone to disturb a school board's decision. Indeed, they are without jurisdiction to interfere with therewith unless it is apparent that the school board's conduct is arbitrary capricious and to the prejudice prejudice of public interest lack of wisdom or mistaken judgment is insufficient and that is quoted there with a it looks like a pennsylvania case courts should not function as super school boards and should not interfere with the discretionary exercise of a school board's power 
unless the action was based on a misconception of law, ignorance through lack of inquiry into facts necessary to form an intelligent judgment. Intelligent. Boy, you're really knocking it out of the park there. Good luck finding a school board with intelligent people. Uh, or the result of arbitrary will or caprice. So I won't read anymore. But basically, the, the court is saying here, we should not interfere with a school board's decision because they are vested that power through the Public School Code Act mm -hmm. of 1949. And we should respect that unless it's basically willful or gross negligence into why they're committing an act that would go against, you know, the public interest. Right. I mean, yeah, hearing exactly. that, you see yeah. that, is that how you interpret that? Yes. Yeah. That's how I interpret it. So, so school board's business, don't get involved in their business. Let them make decisions. They're elected. And we're going to let them make their decisions. Right. So exactly. And so it comes back to even the CDC and the Department of Health and all those things that the school boards had to follow, but they didn't really have to. It was still all, always under their jurisdiction. And even the, even the article that we referenced when we first started this podcast, right? Yep, 100%. So whether it goes through the state system, which right here is a state ruling, they you can't just pretend like that ruling wasn't given and that language wasn't used or even a federal ruling. Like we talked about with all the executive orders, they have been ran through the court system and the courts have held that just like we've said on previous podcasts, that the rights of the citizens are always something that is taken into great consideration. So if you have some bureaucracy coming in there saying you must be afraid of us because if you're, you know, quote, banning books, we're going to, you know, we're going to investigate you for right. federal crimes and all this stuff. People need to just be smart enough to know that that is literally just a scare tactic. It's it's politics. It, it will never hold weight in a court of law mm -hmm. unless you can prove that somebody's removing books strictly because they are a diehard bona fide racist. Right. And I've seen a lot of school boards that are doing the right things, like a Central Bucks West and all that stuff. And you can hear the, the superintendent. I don't see racism anywhere there. I see common sense folks that are in charge of our children when they're in school that are trying to protect them from this disgusting content. Yeah. So good luck going to a court and trying to prove that they're in there as racist or whatever they're trying to say. I don't even know. I don't pay any attention to it because it's garbage. Right. So... so we always like to end with some encouragement and some like tips for our listeners, because I think, again, we're getting smart on this. I think as you know, if you're listening to this podcast and you maybe been familiar with us, I know we're getting smarter as an organization all the time, but hopefully, you know, as far as our group of individuals and our listeners, we're all getting smarter together. So what would you say um, to our listeners as kind of a, a final message of encouragement? Yeah, great question. I mean, when it comes to this matter, again, we have eight priorities. We've talked free speech. We've talked Title IX. These are things that we will always, all 24-7, we're going to fight back on. Yep. This is just as important as well, because this is adherence to the law, mm -hmm. and this is part of our priorities. So don't think, and I think for me, it was eye-opening too, don't always think that what, you know, I go back to the chilling factor a little bit, Jess, but it's like, don't always think that just because some agency is walking into your school that they know exactly what's going on, what the rules are, and they're the, you know, the, the arbiter, and they're going to make sure that they're the only decision there, right? right? 
don't don't forget that there's balances of power in our government and that just because an executive branch person comes into your school doesn't mean doesn't make them right. Right. Just because they're the government doesn't make them right. So get educated. And if there's any questions about any of this stuff to include, if this stuff starts happening, I just posted, you know, two days ago on social media on this. This is one that we will strike. We will strike quick. Yep. Because if 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 a school gets threatened that they're going to be under investigation or God forbid, did you see what happened in California where Gavin Newsom just fined a school $1.5 million because they would not accept his curriculum, which was full of sexually explicit material. That's the kind of stuff like know that we're here. We're growing every single day. We're not going away. We're getting smarter. Like Jess said, we're also getting, you know, larger we're growing. So reach out to us if there's any questions whatsoever on the authority of a school board if you think there might be something that's illegal that's happening and of course for the subject of this podcast if this book review thing starts becoming an issue we want to hear from you we want to hear from you quick yep. we want to strike on this one absolutely so that's where you just go to our website so if something like this happens in your district you can always file a citizens report with us so you would do that by going to our website which is citizensadvisorypa.com um, and you would just fill out the form that says, you know, submit a report or submit an incident, I think is what the button says on our page. Um, and then we investigate it for you and, and we will take action. Um, and so that's where, where Ben is, um, you know, speaking on our behalf, uh, uh, you know, we want you to come to us if something like this is going on in your district. Um, well, thanks. That was a really good discussion. I mean, I learned a lot and, um, I know our listeners probably learned a lot too there. So um, as always, you can check us out on our Facebook page um, and on our Twitter uh, account, which is Citizens, yeah, Citizens Advisory of PA. Our website is just citizensadvisorypa.com. And if you're enjoying these podcasts, um, of course, please like, subscribe, share far and wide. We want people to get smart on these topics for sure. Um, and we just appreciate you listening. So thanks, Ben. I to say bureaucracy three times or quickly because you sound like a bozo like me, but <laughs> all good. Yeah. Thanks, Ben. We'll talk you. to you guys next week.